welcome your backup plan tribe or black backup tribe or family. Welcome, welcome to our show today. I am so very excited. Our title today is No Matter the Challenges, You Too Still Can Make It. I'm changing that for a reason, and I will correct it on the screen for you because we still, we still can do things. And I have an amazing, amazing guest today for our show. I'm so very excited. Hey, I'm Tina. I'm over here at Your Backup Plan app. I am the creator and developer of Your Backup Plan. I'm a best-selling author in the blink of an eye, a financial advisor and emergency preparedness coach. We are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, and Pinterest. I definitely am going to make a rap song about that. Okay, guys, I am definitely going to try and do that. We talk about real life stories here with the real amazing people like CL King that we have coming to you today from North Carolina. Um, and it's about their amazing life changing events in their lives, you know, tragedies, traumas, or accidents, you know, because in the blink of an eye, yeah, that's how quickly something happens, something life changing, something unexpected hits you. And there's no five minute evacuation notice. You know, when you're having a car accident, you just say, hold on one second, I need five minutes before you hit me. It doesn't happen that way. And sometimes there's no time at all to make that, you know, right choice or the right decision or the right emotions to have during when you're capable of making those choices. To be in the right mental state of mind, we don't have choices in most cases. It just happens. And are we prepared? And that's why we created an app that would organize all of your details in case of any medical emergency, sudden death, unexpected tragedy to avoid all those tremendous stress for you and your loved one. So let's get this party started. I am so excited to bring on CL King today. Wait till I, hey CL. <laughs> hey, how is everybody doing out there? Awesome, awesome. You know, I am so excited to bring everybody, all our listeners, to listen to your exceptional, exceptional, motivating stories. I, He is an author, an inspirational coach, a podcast host of Impacting Life 24-7. He's in year four now. He's beat me by one year. Master Life Coach, a founder and CEO of Impacting Life 24-7. He's out of North Carolina, United States. So welcome, welcome abroad, our family. Yes. Um, where did it all start for you, CL? Where did you, you know, where did this venture start for you? Well... It started way back in the year of 1975, if we go all the way to where it started. <laughs> <laughs> February the 6th. And so for those of you keeping track, uh, that's my birthday. And, you know, I believe that there are some people who are born into uh, a pleasant situation. And there are some people that are born into adversity. I feel that I was born into a crucible 
of adversity. <laughs> so it wasn't just that it was a, a you know a peripheral situation. It was that it was a cauldron of adversity, and it was it was not just a one off or one time event. It was literally something that followed me. Uh, and that I deal with even 47 years later, Tina. So uh, I was, I, if you want me to get started and you just, you walk with me, I could do that. Is, is that the way? Absolutely. I'm right beside you. Cause you know, I could, I, you, it's easy to interview a host cause we know how to keep talking. You know what I'm saying? Yes, that's it. Unfortunately, <laughs> or try one of the two. <laughs> so let me, let me just say to all of your listeners and all of the folks that support you, at your backup plan. I, I just want to say thank you so much for entrusting me, CL King, with your platform, Tina. I don't take it lightly. Listen, I don't just let anybody on our platform. I, I think that it's important that uh, we respect uh, the people that you work so hard to rally around your cause. And you don't want just some clown up here uh, you know, talking off the top of their head, but we do have a purpose in this in this industry. We have a we have a reason why we're here, and so every time I'm guest to be on someone else's platform, anytime I get an opportunity to speak publicly, I always thank those folks to do it because you're taking a risk. You know, I, I might could just go off on the deep end, and and then we have to pull the plug on the show. But I promise <laughs> you that I'm aware of the moment that we're living in. And I do believe that our societal norms have shifted a lot and there still is a requirement. There still is a need for somebody like Tina and there's still a, a need for somebody like CL that will say, yeah, wherever Tina is on the screen, <laughs> there's still somebody like us that will say, Hey, you know what? We want, we want to put forth, an impact message of positivity. There's enough negative going around. So let's, let's just do our job as a, as positive change agents. 1975, when I was born, I was born, uh, I guess to Don Lee Sharp and Sharon King, Sharon Ann King and Don Lee Sharp, Reverend Don Lee Sharp was an abusive alcoholic man who in my month, my mother's ninth month of pregnancy, I was told that he beat her over her back with crutches and broke crutches and pushed her down the stairs. And these are the stories that I was told as a, as a young kid and my wow. life, my life, even in the book, even in the book, my life is broken down into chapters. It's broken down into chapters. So I was born into a situation where these two adults had not been married six months they were married and divorced before I was born. Oh, my goodness. Man. What does that tell I mean, you? I'm sure there's many people out there like that. That's right. That, that you know, you're, you're not even getting a good start. You're not even getting a good cry in the, in the delivery room. And your, your folks have, have, have split up. And around age two and a half, Hold on. We lost you. I don't. StreamYard, come on. Come on. Off oh, of I what hear was told. There he comes. You're back. Are we there? You got a little second there of fading. 
I got, a hold, I got a hold of some paraphernalia, some alcoholic beverages that was in the back of my mother's car. Uh oh. Are we are we good there? Yeah, we're good now. All right. Because I got a hold of some alcohol that was in the back of my mother's car, I was taken away from my mother at three years old. I was per- placed in my first foster home at three. I don't remember much about it. I just knew that it was a, a white family with cows and they were very loving. And then I and then I got thrust. That That's a chapter that I know very little about. You know what I'm saying? So I don't write a lot about that in my book, Who Ate My Brownie, No Matter the Adversity, You Still Can Make It. But when I when I do start having these recollections, they are about the time when I move in with my dad's mother, my paternal grandmother. And things were wonderful there. It was, it was, it was great. My grandfather was there, John Shedrick, Christine Shedrick. They were raising me. I didn't have the wherewithal to ask why am I living with my grandmother and not with my dad or my mom. I just was there. And when John Shedrick died, all hell broke loose in Christine Shedrick's house. She would lock oh. me in the she would lock me in the basement. She would lock me outside with in the detached garage with the dogs in the middle of winter. I remember sitting out there for hours and hours and hours on bales of hay with the dogs in the middle of winter, winter wondering what in the world did I do to deserve to be out here with the dogs? And then in, in late in late in night, she would bring me back in the house and downstairs in the basement is where I would stay. And this wow. this type yeah, of behavior. Why did it change? See, uh, why did that change? I don't know. I think John Shedrick, who was not my who was not my paternal grandfather, uh, he was he was just a he stepfather. Was, yeah, he was a step grandfather. Right? Grandfather, yeah. Right. So he was in the picture, and my grandmother was happy. Okay, she had companionship. You know what I'm saying? And it seemed like John Shedrick, who was a hardworking construction man, he was the he was the stabilizer in the house, and when he left. It, it changed. It dramatically changed. Now, when I look back at that all these year, years later, and I do write about it in the book, I say, you know, it was it was probably what shifted my grandmother's treatment towards me was because of the void that she had in her life missing her husband. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes. When, yeah. When somebody when somebody's extracted from you uh, because John Shedrick was everything. He was an amazing man. And so, but this abuse, this, this abuse went from being peripheral to being all the time. And so I, that chapter switches when I go to live with my dad. And let me make sure I get these chapters right in life. Cause you know, I, this was so long time ago. I went to live with my dad for, for a season and in my dad's house, I, I, I knew that my dad was violent because from time to time after my grandfather passed away, he'd come over to my grandmother's house. He'd slap me, beat me because he'd be drunk. You know, he was always intoxicated. And when I went to go live with him is really when I realized how bad life could be. Because and how old would you have been? I would have been kindergarten age because I remember going oh, to A.J. Rickoff kindergarten school, right? Oh, and here, here's, here's just a, a highlight that I write about in the book. I was a very nervous kid because I was always getting hit by him, right? I was all, so I had bowel problems, bed wetting, bowel movements, et cetera. One night I had, I had had an accident. We were away at an old church. And when we came back home, he said, you need to clean out, wash your underwear, filled up the tub and threw my underwear in the, in the tub. And something triggered with him. 
And he came and held me under the tub, held me in the water in the tub. And I'm thrashing about trying to get out. I'm just like, and thinking in my mind, like my dad is trying to kill me all because I had an accident and I'm screaming. He's cussing me out. Shut up. You dumb MF, blah, blah, blah. And it just, and, and that was um, a moment that is etched in my mind 37 years later or 38 years later. You know what I mean? I can never forget that image of someone who's supposed to be loving you to do that to you. It, it was more than that, though. It was drug abuse. It was alcoholism. It was women that he would bring over to the house. We only had one bedroom. I'm in the bedroom with him pretending to be asleep while he's in the bedroom having relations with a woman. Imagine a kid in, in kindergarten, uh, first grade, being exposed to that. Oh, my God. Are you understanding what this is what I'm trying to get people to understand when we talk about <laughs> CL just gets worse and worse. Yeah, this is what I'm trying to get people to understand. When I say that I was born in a crucible of adversity, it wasn't just a one-off, it just wasn't a every now and then. This became a lifestyle. It was it was like I was melted into that's what a crucible is. It takes metal and melts it, right? And I and I was melted into this adversity, to this behavior, and, and I'm just like, why? And then what the kind of man does that? I mean, I, I understand the question. I asked that question, Tina, in the book. What type of what was going through his mind to 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 treat his son like that? And this Crazy. is why, Tina. This is why, Tina. I, I, you know, a lot of people when they hire me to come speak for them, I do warn them. I said, "Listen, I'm intense, I, <laughs> right? I, I'm, I'm you don't sugarcoat your story." Right, right, right. <laughs> don't don't ask me to come and be philosophical because I'm not that guy. <laughs> um, but, but the truth of the matter is, is that we, because of the way we are forged, then then I want to express that same passion. You know what I mean? It was a violent forging of my life. The next chapter is with my mother. I, I may have lived with her, I don't even know, maybe a year and a half, two years. We, we, we ate in soup kitchens. We ate in homeless shelters. We walked everywhere. We had no form of transportation. She was put in jail oftentimes with just me and my sister left with my mom's step husband to take care of us. That was our stepdad. I watched my sister get physically and sexually abused. I was physically and sexually abused under that house, under the under the banner of where you're supposed to be safe. So I moved from my grandmother's who 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 was, you know, just deprivation. I moved to my dad's who was a, abuse and attempted murder to now moving to a place where I'm thinking, OK, can it get any worse? No, kids, you know, you know, you know Tina, kids used to, in the back of the apartment, one of the apartments I remember us living at in the back of the apartment, a kid would come out. A little white kid. I write about this in the book. I, 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 he would push, ball up bread and push it through the fence, to me, because we were so. I was severely malnutrition when I went to school. I was getting double breakfasts and double lunches. Oh my goodness! It, it was a total abusive home because first, right from the food to hygiene, yeah, right? Right, everything and everything. And so you got to think now being sexually abused and physically abused, you start to question what is right and what is wrong as a young kid. 
So the title of my book, for those of you who may can see this video, is called Who Ate My Brownie? And somebody says, well, why is it called that, right? Yeah. Well, because we always ate at soup kitchens and homeless shelters, right? And her, her husband, Michael Pendergrass, brought back a brownie from the homeless shelter. He didn't take me and my sister that night. He brought back one little corrugated plate, a little white plate with one brownie on it, Tina. And my mother said, put it in the refrigerator. I'll get it tomorrow. And that night I was so hungry, Tina. I'm talking about what well, I know what real hunger is. I do intermittent fasting now just to try to stay skinny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You but, didn't but, need but, to then. Right, right. But, but, but back then we would talk about food, me and my sister, just to try to make our hunger pains go away. And that night I snuck into that kitchen, man, and broke a little piece off of that brownie. And I probably went back 10 or 15 times, breaking a piece off, reforming it so it would be square. Maybe, maybe in the inner, inner. They won't inner, notice. Maybe they won't notice. All the way until it was completely gone, Tina. And the next morning, my mother said, who ate my brownie? Oh, dear. She said, unless you guys tell me, this is me and my sister, my two-year-old. She's two two years older than Melinda, Diane. My mother said, listen, if you don't tell me, if one of you. Oh, hold on. I don't hold on. Don't confess. I'm going to beat you every single day. Oh, my goodness. Hold on. I lost you. Hold on. Hold on with the story. <laughs> This is uh -oh. Mercury retrograde at its finest. Yeah, there you come. You're coming back now. Yeah, we're looping There's always back. these little blips. Yeah. Okay. She beat she's she'll she said she'll yep. beat you these. every day. Yeah, we'll beat us beat me and my sister every day. But what we got whooped with, Tina, was a was an item that is the same material that a car fan belt is made out of. I'm 47 and I still have those welts on my body today. And this is the time period when I was 11. It oh, would, dear. I would remember going into school and they would take us, take me into closets and take off my shirt and look at the welts on my back, on my legs. It, it, it was something that I was saying, Hey, look, you know, my dad punched me, you know, my dad slapped open hand slapped me, he tried to hold me under the tub, but I never got beat with something like that. It was just, it was, it was torture. And uh, I left that next morning, Tina. I did not stick around to see if she was going to fulfill her promise. I walked out the front door, left the front door wide open and lived on the streets of Cleveland until I was put into social services. I was a homeless kid at 11 years old. Being street savvy, I knew to go to soup kitchens. Being street savvy, I knew to go to homeless shelter. Being street savvy, I knew to steal stuff from the store. You know, this is in my book. This, this is this is not a fairy tale. This is this is like I, I could see it just as vividly as it is today. I remember kissing my sister and walking out the front door. And I got put into two more group homes. I'm I'm expediting the story. Got put into two more group homes where in both of the group group home times I was sexually assaulted by the kids there because I was 12. And they were 16, 17, 18 years old. So I was the young, fresh meat there. 
Yeah. So I so so you go from you go from a grandmother's house to a dad's house to a mother's house to a group home where you're thinking finally you'll be safe, and yet these behaviors, these these atrocities are still committed. But you think that probably the homeless place was probably the best place you were at. Could you say that? Do you think? I didn't, I didn't stay. I didn't stay at the, the, the homeless shelter all the time. I would roam the streets. I would sleep under, under the 25th street bridge. I, I, I did. I had a lot of resources for just being gone. And some nights it was just walking the streets, watching the sun go down and watching it come back up. That, that's that's one of the most amazing phenomenons to be walking around aimlessly throughout the streets of Cleveland and just when the sun goes down and you walk long enough to where it comes back up. But I guess you were thinking, I mean, how much worse could it get? Right. And so, you know, the, finally getting put back in social services, they got me into those two group homes and then they put me into a foster home in Lorain, Ohio where things were, things were settled there, but it wasn't, it, it, it was a different kind of settled, uh, along the journey of being at that foster home, we were accosted, me and my other foster brother, not necessarily kidnapped, but persuaded to go stay with two 30 year old women. Now I was 13, he was 14 or 15, and these were grown adults. They exposed us to all types of drug paraphernalia, sexual behaviors that kids should not be involved in, and and experiences that really messed up my mind. Oh, I'm sorry. And That's and, crazy. and and so when you think about all of that that was happening after this eating the brownie, you would say, "Well, dog, it seemed to just got worse." But I will tell everyone listening this, and I and I want to speak to you clearly that the brownie is that moment. It's that choice. It was like, if I hadn't have eaten that brownie, where would I be today? And I, yeah. I, challenge, I challenge people to think about if what was that moment in your life, that nexus, that intersection that says, you know what, if this had not have happened, where would I be today? So I'm thankful for the brownie. <clears throat> I'm thankful for the group home. I'm thankful for that foster home. <clears throat> Because it, I got extracted from that foster home because of some allegations that were made by the other kid, not against me, but by the parents, against the parents. So I was uh, getting ready to be placed in another group, another foster home, and Ruth E. Plowden, on the other side of Lorraine, Ohio, said, I want you to send Chris King to me. Now, Ruth Plowden is my last foster mom. I'm sitting in the Ruth E. Plowden legacy chair. She had 83 foster kids over 35 years. Oh. She would take any kid. She wouldn't reject them. And when I left that group home the, the second time, because I had to go back to the group home before going to Mom Plowden's, I showed up at her door with two trash bags of clothes, and that's it. And my foster mom said to me, she said, Chris, you can take everything that has happened to you because you know they see your record you know they see what's going on because my, my foster mom took sexual offenders she took everybody she she was she six kids at a time she'd have six kids in that house at all times and when she brought me there she said listen you can take all of that stuff and use it as an excuse because you got some good excuses chris you've got some you got some valid reasons why you should fail in society you 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 got the resume my friend 
You sure do. Or you can use that stuff to change the world. And I listened to her. And she got me connected. This is in chapter six, I believe, when I showed up there, chapter seven and chapter eight. She got me connected with Church on the North Coast, Pastor Lewis and Tina Canton, who took me in as this 14-year-old little black kid from the hood, and they showed me what love truly meant. They showed me that, that Jesus was important in your life. They showed me how to do ministry. They I'm probably a, the greatest speaker in all time because of them. They, they gave me opportunity that I never would have been exposed to before had I not eaten that brownie. And I graduated from high school, went into the Marine Corps. I'm married with seven kids, make more money now than I've ever made in my life, live in the house that I want, drive the car I want, do every, never abuse one of my kids any way that I was treated as a kid. And thanks be to God that I went through all of that because now nearly a half a million people later, Tina, I share this story around the country and throughout the world that no matter the adversity, what you still can make it and that's the story absolutely so it sounded like your life like god brought you this woman because everything changed after that it did she she is an angel i got to eulogize her at her when she passed away in 2013 she had 83 foster kids and i got to give one of the eulogies there uh, Ruthie Plowden was, she was my mom. We called her mom. And she was a, she was a little old white lady from, she was raised in the projects in Lorraine, Ohio. And she took in all these disadvantaged children. And I'm still trying to fulfill that legacy where she said, you know, you can use it to change the world. That's why I feel like my mission is so important like I got, I, you know, my staff sometimes is like, King, can you chill out? You know, I'm supposed to be on vacation. But when you said, hey, let's get together and do a podcast, I said, you know what? There could be one person that could hear this episode that has gone through because, you know, there's 50 to 60 million adults, Tina, that have been sexually abused that carry it around. Yeah. Do you know that? Do you, do you know that there are over 400,000 kids in foster care in America right now? You know that one in seven of the kids that are in, in social services are in group homes. And, and, and what we, and what society has done, y'all just forgive me for a minute, but what society has done is just sat back and said, mm, man, that's unfortunate. That's true. <laughs> man, too bad for those folks. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Tina? Is it not true? It's so true. Right, right. Listen, listen, Tina, listen to me. I go speak. I've, we partnered with Sheriff Chip Hughes, the county sheriff. And I said, listen, I want to, I'm Craven County Sheriff. I said, I want to come to your place. I am the impact motivator. You, your folks won't ever hear nobody like me. I understand the churches come, but I'm not coming to do church. They can have the church. I believe in God, but they need a little something else. I do something that the church ain't doing. Right. I said, you need. And Chip said, you know what? We've never done that before. Let's go. Come on, King. So our staff goes there every single month. We have not missed since we started. I don't care if it's Christmas. I go there Christmas. Do you know this, Tina? Uh, did we did we get unfrozen? Yeah, we're unfrozen. (laughs) You can't can't freeze the impact motivator because he's on a roll. No, that's it. 
I'll let the system catch up to us. You have to catch up to us here. Probably just needing to catch up to CL. That's all. I get letters. There we go. We got to catch up to you. (laughs) We got to catch up to you. (laughs) Jesus. I get get letters (laughs) from the residents at the jail. I asked them, I said, listen, tell me what you think about what I'm doing. Tell me what you think about what my team is doing. Do you know that there have been there have the last the last time I was there, which was the second week in December, a young lady wrote me in in the piece of paper and she said, I remember when you came to my school when I was in the seventh grade. Holy cow. She's 22 now and incarcerated. She said, you inspire me when I was in the seventh grade. And I said, well, doggone it. I didn't do enough inspiration. Inspiration is not enough. You've got to act on what you hear. So when I go to the jail, those those residents don't want nothing sugar-coated. They don't, they don't want some milly mouth pat you on the back because they're in a place where they, they're restricted. They can't move. They can't do what they want. So I've got to convince them that even in incarceration, you still can make it. And then I got a, right. a, a lady who just purchased my book. And uh, she messaged me and she said, my granddaughter, now this is a totally separate one, totally different one. She said, my granddaughter is at the jail that you speak at and uh, she's got your book. So you, this, this is why, this is why we do this. This is yeah. why, because you never know that one life that you encounter could be the one life that's been hungering for you to come. Look, my, Ruthie Plowden gave the same opportunity to all 83 foster kids. Not all 83 of them took advantage of it. We lived in suburbia, Lorraine, Ohio, beautifully manicured lawns, church on the North coast, just a stone's throw away, a support system out of this world. And some of the foster kids did not take advantage of it. But you have to wonder sometimes when you're all given the same opportunity, why some people just, you know, float along life and just say, well, woe is me. And, and, just keep going that way and others like yourself are just there's got to be something better out there well you know what when you you know right you're right you're telling the truth when you've been hungry when you've been beat when you've been neglected and left out in the cold when you finally get someone to show you you're better than that it wasn't just that they cared they demonstrated to me that that i should care and now at 47, going on 48 in February the 6th, right? I, I recognize that it's it's my mission. I've done it with my kids. My I've got seven children. All of them are out the house except one. So now it, my, my mission was to impart what Ruthie Plowden told me into them. I wasn't always right. I wasn't always perfect. I blew it a lot as a dad. But I did, I did not repeat the, the sins of my father. You know what I mean? I did yeah. not repeat the, the errors of my mother. And it was because Ruth E. Plowden said, you got it in here. Okay. You're going to, she empowered me to exercise what she said. 
See, when, when those residents get out of the jail, they will be empowered to exercise what I tell them every month. Now, the temptations, I can't make the temptations go away. I can't make the opportunities to go back and get you an eight ball. I can't, I can't, I can't make that stuff go away. The only thing that I no. can do is put something in you to enact, to empower you. And it still comes down to the choice. Notice the, the book says in the subtitle, no matter the adversity, you not not social services, not the government, not a handout. You still can make it. And at the end of the day, Tina, it still comes down to the individual choice. That's right. So let me ask you this. What do you think about Twitch then? What is that? We just, we just went all through this last week with Twitch passing away. What oh. do you, what do you think with your story? How could we have helped him? Well, here's the deal. I was very, I'm thinking you're talking about a program. I'm like, I, I was not up to speed on the gentleman because I, I, there's a line in, I'll, I'll answer your question, but there's a line in a Christmas Carol <laughs> that Ebenezer Scrooge says, he's like, my business occupies me constantly. So I don't have time to fool around in the affairs of others, people's business. Not that that was not my business, but I was so engrossed in what was going on here at the ranch that I didn't even know. I didn't even know who the man was. I had no clue. But that speaks to a broader sense of are we because the gentleman looked like he was happy. He recorded yeah. great videos. And yeah. here's what I can say. We never know. And you never know what is going on in the life of somebody that's standing right next to you. You never know. No. You know, people, people see you, Tina, they think, wow, she's a, a, a successful podcast entrepreneur, blah, blah, blah. They see CL. They're like, Oh man, he's got a beautiful family, blah, blah, blah. They see Twitch. He's on Ellen. He's a dancer, blah, blah, blah. But you never know what's going on in the life of someone else. And you know what I do, what I try to do, Tina, I could just tell you this. I cannot answer for, the situation that happened with him. Yeah. But what I, what I try to do is I try to pick up the phone or send a text to people that God puts on my heart who I may know peripherally, maybe they're going through something or maybe they're not. And that little word of encouragement, man, it, I, I talk about, I talk about this in one of my speeches, Lord, help me to get one more from the movie Hacksaw Ridge. He kept going back in the face of adversity to pull and rescue the troops. But Hacks, the, the guy had to do it. Desmond Doss had to go back and get him. And oftentimes we're too busy watching Netflix and popping popcorn. Our, la our lack of engagement is probably why that situation happened. He probably didn't have someone in his life that was speaking into his life. So they were looking at all the peripheral and it's like, oh, this guy's got it together. But man, yeah. I, I have people in my life who know the real Chris King and they speak into my life and they lift me up when I'm down. And, and I in turn do that to other people because no man is an island unto himself. And we no. need, we need each other. And I just, I, I can't, you know, that is one of suicide is one of those things that I leave it to the hands of God. I can't, I, I can't speak for why 
I can just speak for what we need to do going forward. And I love, I love what uh, Shirley Thiessen says about a friend of hers uh, who ministers to her every month on the day that her son passed away every single month without fail for 10 years. She sends her a text, a note, a call every single month on that day. Now that is consistency, isn't it? That's real passion. That's real passion. That's real love. That's real concern. It doesn't, she said, it's not always flowery. It's not always some long drawn out poem. It could be just, Hey, thinking about you, man. Yeah. And I'm, I'm telling you what, when I get messages like that and I'm having a rough day and to know that somebody cares, what is it that co- would cause someone to feel like the only answer is to take their life? Do they feel like nobody cares? Do they feel like there's no way out? There's, this is why that word still, Tina, is so important. Still, as long as, as long as you have breath, you have hope. I don't think you were thinking that when you were in the doghouse, though, were you? No, <laughs> I, it was a, <laughs> that was a pretty hopeless situation. But I did always have in the back of my mind, it's not going to always be like this. This can't be it. Even yeah. as even as an eight, nine, four, five, six, seven years old, even at 10, 11 on the streets, even at 14 and living in a, in a foster home, you know, I was raised in the system. So all the way up to 18, I graduated from the social services system. I wasn't with a loving family. And, and even though, yes, I was with Ruth Plowden. But what I'm saying is I wasn't with my biological family. So even right. though Ruth Plowden is the zenith, Oh, hold on. Did you get? No, it's just coming back. I think now we're, yeah. we're back. Hello. <laughs> there we go. Okay. So I said, I, Oh, the apex of greatness. even though she was all the things that she was, I was still a foster kid. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you're, you're still living with someone that's not your blood and that, that, that plays on you. You know what I mean? It, it, it's a reality. Um, but I, I, I think she put so much in me that, that it was, and it was a short period. I lived there from age 14 to age 18. And then I went and joined uncle Sam's military. So it wasn't 20 so, years of investment. No, but what do you think happened in her life that she was doing this for all those people like yourself what do you think happened i have no clue i'll be honest with you she her her life the rest of her life is a mystery to me i really i really don't know i've not looked into it i just know that this she was a chapter in all those chapters that i laid out for you today she was a chapter now she obviously was a Christian, a God-fearing woman who loved the lost. She loved helping hurting people. Mm-hmm. And so she didn't just talk about it. She did it. And that's the difference with, like I said, Desmond Doss. He had, he didn't just talk about it. He was about it. He went, he went and activated it. And oftentimes we do a lot of good talking, but we, we do very little acting. Very little doing, I say. Yeah. And I find that with people anyways, even in social media, 
Mm -hmm. uh, you'll notice you'll do a post and there's very little comments um, where or sometimes I find TikTok more so for people that want to comment and it's like do you have a life you know <laughs> why do you have to just write that in there because right. to make you happy right I, I, I just never understand that and and you never know when what you say or comment on something listeners out there that it's going to have an impact on the person or people that are reading it that's the truth that's the truth to you and so what do you think um you know i'm all about being better prepared for life um yeah. That's, you know, why we created your backup plan anyways, because when something happens and shit hits the fan, usually, usually, unless you're very well prepared and even celebrities aren't prepared mm -hmm. for what comes their way either. And they have all the means of money and they have all the means of people like right. Michael Jackson and i mean they had all the means right but they were prepared so i'm not really sure what makes us better prepared like to to want to to be better prepared because i think we don't think anything's going to happen like mike Ty michael Ty uh, tyson says you know you don't what does he say? I, I say it all the time on my shows. You'd think I'd have it, but after a brain injury, it sometimes escapes me. Sorry about that. Um, but he said you got it. Something like you got a good plan until you get punched in the mouth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. It's very true in so many ways. And I mean, I only look after one little part of the paperwork and the decisions and the wishes but people have to realize there's more to planning than even just that there's spiritually there's emotionally and that's what i try to eliminate by you having a better plan is to have people that can um take that away that emotional part because it's so heavy when someone gets sick or dies mm -hmm. in your life that's so true and um i i don't think we give it enough credit and i think back in the days you know when we go back to the 50s or 60s or even earlier they would wrap their important documents up in brown paper and shove it up in the rafters and say you know this is where all my documents are if you need it right what do we do now like our stuff is like literally everywhere yeah. It's in the cloud. It's, you know, it's on the internet. It's in your filing cabinet or in your drawer in the kitchen or in the closet. And God only knows where it is. Yeah. Well, you know, that having a plan is, in, is important and having a backup plan is even more important. Um, and in you know, life in general, right? In life in general. Yeah. One of the disciplines that I'm certified in is Lean Six Sigma. And that's basically like a continual process improvement discipline. So, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a very strategic, very measured out, very articulable 
process. You know, if you're going to find out how to eliminate defects, then you got to you got to go through a process. And in life, I told those people, I tell those people in the in the jail, those great residents, I tell them that you've got to determine your plan for after being in here. Like, like I give, I'll just give you five of them real quick. Determine Isn't that you, the hardest time though? Is when they come out. Isn't that like yes, usually when they have to go back the, in? The, the the this is why they brought me there to reduce recidivism, which means going back in the jail, right? But the reason why we could find those that have a plan and work the plan compared to those that are, that are just like, well, I'm going to get out and trust God. <laughs> That's okay. I appreciate you trusting God, but you, even God says, Amanda doesn't consider building a house. Shouldn't build it because you got to have a plan to build a house. It's not just saying I want a house. You got to have a plan to do it. You're going to go to war. You got to have a plan to go to war. You can't just go because you're going to lose. So I asked them, I said, hey, what is it that you want to be? Don't just say, or I said, where do you want to be? And, and I say, don't just say, I want to be out of here. That's not a plan. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be with your wife and kids? Do you want to be back? Where do you want to be? And, and you force them to look at the where. Like I tell them, I said, where do I want to be this time next year? I want to be a seven-figure speaker. It was going to cost you seven figures to get me to come speak. <laughs> <laughs> the next one, this next one is when do you want to be there? Like you want to be there, but when, you know, because you done, you done played this circle. You've been around this loop. You've been around this tree for so long. You don't even have, you don't even know when, because the you don't even have a concept of time. You're just in here on, on uncle Sam's dime. When do you want to be where you said you want to be? And then, I, and then I asked him, I said, and then how in the world are you going to get there? How? <laughs> it's not just where, it's not just when, but how? Then I asked him, I said, what is, isn't this so cool? And I wrote this, I wrote this a long time ago, y'all. I said, what is your alternate plan? There what you is go. Your what What's is your, your backup plan? plan? Come on, somebody. Who knew that I'd be on the backup plan show today? And 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 what is your alternate or backup plan? See, because at the first, the first opportunity for temptation and failure, you better have a backup plan. You better have an alternative. I won't be back with my baby mama. Well, what she what if she don't want you? What if Jerome done moved in? What's your backup plan? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the way I talk in the jail. Lord have mercy. <laughs> we talk just like that. So look, I gotta, I gotta hurry. So here's the next two. Determine how you're going to stay there. It's not just good that you get there, but determine how you're going to stay there. Understand this: that he, we talked about Mike Tyson. Is Mike Tyson the heavyweight champion of the world today? Nope. Because somebody came and knocked him off his throne, right? Yeah. Why did he get knocked out, throw? Because he stopped he stopped preparing like the like the ravenous animal that he was early on, right? He stopped yeah. training like the warrior that he was, right? It, and and father thing. But when you when you think about that, okay, that's one thing. I think about it from my perspective. Oh, hold that thought. Hold the thought. Hold the thought. Uh-oh. 
it's coming. He's coming back. It froze on us here for a second. Where'd you go? I can hear you. You're back. Right, let, me, let me know when we're there back. You there you go. It's coming. This is crazy, isn't it? This yeah, Mercury Jeez, yeah, you're back. Yay. The last thing I say to them is to determine why they want to be there. Because when I go around the room, I talk to this, I talk to the female block and I talk to the male block. Do you know that probably 70% of those ladies that I talk to are mothers that have kids that are not grown? If that ain't your why, then all this, all the other steps that I told you, they ain't gonna do nothing. They ain't, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not first temptation. You're gonna go smoke a joint. You're gonna go, you know what I mean? Your why? Why do you want to be where you said you want to be? Why? And so that's that's what I, you're right. The plan you and and when people do not live that plan, you often see them go awry. Sometimes, yes. sometimes Tina, it's because of what. Number one is obviously because of my commitment to my wife and also to the commitment to my children that my why keeps me from getting in trouble, getting into a mess, right? Yes. It may not be because I have the greatest amount of self-discipline, but I understand my why. But your why could be part of you too. I mean, it's, that's right. You could be, when, you're doing it for you. That's That's right. Exactly. But sometimes, you know, when, when I look at those kids or I look at my young kids when they were little, I look at my boys looking up at me and I'm their hero, then I, I can't I, I can't go crazy. I can't give in to my 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 fleshly desires just just because I'm grown and I can do that. No, man, my why my why is a legacy. My why is a is a generation cuz. So anyway, it's the bigger picture. It is the bigger picture. You're right. Right. I think people get caught up in this little window of, of just seeing their life at the moment, but not looking at the bigger, broader picture of, of all of those things that you mentioned. That's great. Um, and don't forget everybody, listeners, uh, CL King's information of all of his websites and, and book is in the description box below. Don't forget that. And don't forget to, um, like share and subscribe um don't forget to do that because we love you here and we love to have you come back all the time and you know smash that like button because then we uh we can share that with others just like you um cl what do you think the listeners what do you have for the listeners i'm sure you have something up your sleeve for your final message well I want you to understand this, that first of all, I'm going to close with thanking you guys for putting up with me for God only knows how long I've been talking. It just seems like five minutes, <clears throat> but I will, say, I will say this, that there is a bell in Russia that weighs 400,000 pounds. It's called the Tsar bell. It's known as the largest bell in the world, but there is a 25,000 pound piece broke off of that bell. 
the bell never rang. It's never rang. It's only been sitting on a pedestal in the Kremlin. It has the title of a bell, but it doesn't do what a bell is supposed to do. We've been put on this earth for such a short amount of time to ring into other people's lives. Ruthie Plowden, she rang into my life. I heard her ringing every day. Chris, you can do it. Chris, my, my, my. She rang every day. And those sounds that she rang, now I ring into the lives of others. Don't be like the Sar Bell, just entitled with a bell. You're the title of a bell, but you never fulfill your purpose. You got a purpose for, for something bigger than what you are and who you are. Go ahead and ring and let God use you. God bless you. Have a great 2023. Oh, that was beautiful. Did that come from mostly from her? From Ruth Blauden? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh my gosh. She needs to come back. Maybe she's around somewhere. Oh, she is. She's watching me right now. <laughs> oh, she's amazing and still giving you those tips. And I'm sure that pat on the back for you too. Yes, you know, I just said that I, it's amazing how things come around just to throw it back in your face, you know, because last week I had a tough time and I put words out there and said, you know, just touch somebody today, just mm -hmm. over Christmas, touch somebody and look what you brought up again. Mm -hmm. It's so true. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. It was amazing. Thank you. If we could have an audience and clap there, we would, we would do that. We would definitely do that. So awesome. Thank you, CL. I, I appreciate your time and your effort and everything that you do to help others as well. It's amazing. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you so much, Tina. Um, you know, we are not Superman. We, but we may act like we are because nothing is going to happen. And I'm sure if I said to CL, because he's a perfect man out there in the world, um, he would say, nothing's going to happen to me. You know, I, I, I just see that mostly with men. They just think they're, you know, I've got the muscles, I've got the strength, nothing's going to happen to me. So I don't have to get prepared, but we do. We have so many things to plan and prepare for. Um, and we look at the world around us and, you know, the shootings in the schools and the streets and the work accidents and the car accidents and the overdoses and the pandemic, not to mention the crazy wars and the natural disasters, wildfires and the floods and hurricanes around the world. And we're still not prepared even after all of that comes in our life and hits us, we're still not prepared. So I'm here to tell you, let's get prepared. It's easy. Um, smash that like button. And if you are thinking about that special someone today that you can just pick up the phone and call or send a message to, like CL mentioned, and I say it in every one of my podcasts, do it because you don't know what tomorrow might bring. It, it, take that moment now, today, when you're listening to the show. That being said, I always end with Carol Burnett.
because she she made us all happy and you know cl you know who carol burnett is she i'm i'm definitely she was on one of your show shows i'm sure that you listened to growing up i'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song seems we just get started and before you know it comes a time we have to say so long so long everybody it was a pleasure to have you say i'll i I'll definitely have you come back there's so much more to say it's an hour goes by so quickly with you so thank you <laughs> thank you and god bless everybody up there in great canada we love and appreciate you all oh well we love and appreciate everything you do as well so everybody stay safe be kind and expect the unexpected. Bye for now.